Rainmaker FM. You're listening to The Digital Entrepreneur, the show for folks who want to discover smarter ways to create and sell profitable digital goods and services. This podcast is a production of Digital Commerce Institute, the place to be for digital entrepreneurs. For more information, go to rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. That's rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. Welcome to the Digital Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Sean Jackson, and I'm joined in person by the lovely Katie Katz. Katie, welcome to Dallas. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to be here. It's the first time we've ever done a show in person together, and I am excited to do that. So, Katie, I always ask questions about you and your history. You know what? I want to let you ask me something now. (laughs) Yeah. So, Sean, a lot of people, including me originally, know you through Copyblogger and Studio Press and Rainmaker, and that's really where people um, know your history. But you've also done some consulting. Can you tell us about that? Way back in the day, I did a lot of consulting work, you know, again, around technology and marketing services. And I always found it to be a challenge, right? I found the challenge to be, I loved doing consulting work for big, giant brands. But then, of course, if you were doing the work for them, you didn't really have time to grow your agency. And it was the essential trap that most, I think, small businesses or freelancers find that you're so busy doing the work, you can't go get the work. And then if you're getting the work, then you don't have the money to pay the bills so that you can you know, continue on this journey. And so I found it to be incredibly challenging, which is why when I had the opportunity to join Brian Clark and the team here to create up products, I was like, well, that, that solves my biggest complaint because I think it's hard to succeed as a service business, especially when you're starting out and trying to grow bigger. Well, I'm going to be able to help you out today, Sean, because our guest today, Eric Anga, is one of the masters at growing a content brand to a service business. And we might even be able to change your mind on the whole thing. So we're very excited to have him on the show today, right after this break. Hey, my name is Brian Gardner, and I am the creator of Studio Press, the first premium marketplace for WordPress themes. When I created Studio Press, I could never imagine that more than 200,000 WordPress site owners would use StudioPress to build some of the most elegant and inspiring WordPress sites on the web. And I am not just talking about the numerous large companies that use it. Tens of thousands of food bloggers, podcasters, affiliate marketers, real estate agents, photographers, and many more have created some of the most compelling mobile responsive websites using StudioPress. But that is not all. To make it easy for you to create a compelling WordPress site, we have introduced StudioPress Sites, a turnkey simple method to create and grow your WordPress site. StudioPress Sites includes many of our most popular WordPress themes, with unique SEO tools and plugins all integrated on our high-performance, secure, and actively managed hosting infrastructure. So when you are ready to take your WordPress site to a new level without the worry or hassle of less robust solutions, then I hope you will visit StudioPress.com. Over 200,000 bloggers and webmasters trust StudioPress for their WordPress site, and we work hard every day to earn it. 
Welcome back from the break, everyone. And today we have a very special friend of the show to enlighten us about building and growing a major digital agency. So, Katie, will you introduce our special friend? Yes. Today we have Eric Enga, who is a very well-known digital marketing expert. He is the founder of Stone Temple Marketing, and many people know him as a keynote speaker and author and the host of or co-host of Here's Why. And we're so excited to have him on today to talk about his history with Stone Temple. Eric, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it, uh, Sean and Katie. So, Let's put on a good one. That's exactly right. So, Eric, (laughs) this is what blows me away about you. I cannot go anywhere in the digital marketing space, especially around SEO, and not run into you and Mark. (laughs) From your videos, from your speeches that you give, heck, even your book, The Art of SEO, is the defining uh, Bible, if you will, for the SEO industry. And it just blows me away because if um, from the outside looking in, I don't know how you even have a business given how much exposure you have online and in person in the world. So inform our audience a little bit about Stone Temple because I think they'll be blown away just how big your organization is. Uh, Sure. Uh, Happy to do that. And thanks for the uh, uh, perhaps overly kind introduction. But yeah, so um, we're about 70 people in terms of full-time employees, and we have maybe another 120 people who work under contract. Most of those are content creators. Um, and we work with a lot of uh, large-scale companies. We have numerous uh, Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 companies that uh, are clients. We get to do some great work, uh, SEO, content marketing, and social media with many of them. And uh, you know, it's a great deal of fun, very energizing, very engaging thing to to be involved in and, and you know, hopefully have some positive influence on the way people do things. So one of the things that always has struck me is that you not only have um, provided content marketing services to your many, many clients, but you really do use the principles of content marketing in building up your business. I mean, again, your videos are extremely well known. You guys have a very active blog. You guys are interviewing people. You're putting out research surveys. I mean, you do content marketing, I think, the proper way in how to build a business up. So let me ask you, how important was the content marketing elements that you do today in helping you start out? Because I don't think a lot of people know the history of how Stone Temple started. So let's start from there and kind of what you did to build it up to this major agency. Uh, you know, happy to go through that. Uh, actually, uh, the Stone Temple blog had its first blog post written in 2007. And at the time, uh, it was just me and one other guy uh, in the company. And we, we were getting business largely through my referral network uh, and just people I'd knew, known from, you know, years in the industry prior to starting Stone Temple and in the earlier days of Stone Temple, actually, because uh, Stone Temple was founded all the way back in 1997 and had a few iterations where it wasn't even my major business. But uh, and even by 2007, it wasn't my major business. But I did start writing posts on the blog. And for the first uh, three months, I wrote some fantastic stuff. Um, And of course, nobody ever read it because (laughs) I didn't have an audience. uh, And, um, you know, it was really disappointing. But I kind of persisted and and kept going at it. And 
took advantage of uh, uh, a few industry ripples. And I'll tell you a couple of interesting side stories here. Uh, so hopefully they're interesting for readers because they're kind of instructive as to what helped make us go. Um, started getting just enough visibility with the content that I was creating and the comments I was leaving on people's blogs and interactions I was having in various places that I, I started to become at least known to some of the more influential people in the industry. Uh, so I was known to Rand Fishkin. I was known to Matt Cutts. Uh, I was known to Danny Sullivan. You know, I was sort of a very much a second or third tier uh, person out there in terms of, uh, I hate the notion of tiering, by the way, but I was just less well-known. Uh, but they knew who I was, at least, right? And so Rand Fishkin um, puts out this post uh, at one point, and basically the tenor of the post was, um, who wants the, the 10,000 backlinks and 100,000 visitors that this study um will net them and he was basically proposing that somebody go do an evaluation of multiple analytics packages and comparing how they measured results to uh, see you know how they differed because it was pretty clear that they measured things in at least somewhat different ways so i was the first comment on his post and i said you got it you have your volunteer i'm in and i i claimed it with and it was in a heartbeat you know i just made the the decision, uh, not recognizing at the time the scope of the task. And I'm telling you, I spent, my, my working estimate is a thousand hours of my own time on this study because it was very involved and complex. Um, and we published it. It's called the Web Analytics Shootout. If you search on that phrase, you'll still find it today, uh, even though it was published a long time ago. But it got me on the radar with Rand in a very big way. And, and went from someone he knew about to someone that he now respected what I could do. And that was a big visibility boost. Uh, another related story is how I developed the relationship with Matt Cutts is that uh, I succeeded in getting a website that I was making a ton of money on uh, banned by Google. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was actually kind of a third strike for our business because when I first started in SEO, uh, I, I didn't understand why the difference between gray and black and white hat mattered. <laughs> um, so I was just doing things to make money and it was working great. And then on December 14th, 2004, I woke up in the morning and went downstairs and, and found that the site was gone from the Google index. I, I don't mean penalized. It was gone. <laughs> okay, it wouldn't even come up for, you put the URL in and it wouldn't come up. Uh, wow. uh, and I, this is kind of how I got started in the industry. I just actually started going to conferences and showing up at conferences and, um, you know, watching, you know, prominent people speak. And, uh, and like if Rand spoke, I'd go watch him. I'd sit in the front row. If Matt Cuss, uh, spoke, I'd watch him speak. I'd go sit in the front row. Not only would I go sit in the front row, but when the speech was over, I'd be the first one up to talk to them. Uh, and I, I don't mean the second, I mean the first every time. Uh, and I always had a, a thought out agenda of what I was going to talk to them about. And, uh, and this all ended up 
playing a big role in a couple of ways. First of all, after nine months of this um, and showing Matt that we'd fixed all the problems with our site and really gone straight, uh, straight as an arrow with how we were doing things and we had major websites linking to us now because of what we'd done with our content, suddenly one day, the day after I had a particular conversation with Matt, it was back in the index. I've never been told why that happened. <laughs> uh, but this all played into the next stage. And I'm sorry if I'm taking over long with this, but there's one more uh, piece to the story, which is in, um, I believe it was 2008, when Danny Sullivan left incisive media and left behind search engine strategies and search engine watch. And because I'd gotten on Matt's radar for what I was doing, and because I had started my blog and started putting out some really good white hat oriented content, um, a, a couple of things came together. I went to SES Chicago and I approached both Rebecca Lieb and Elizabeth Osmolowski and said, hey, Danny Sullivan's leaving Search Engine Watch. You need someone to write for you, and here I am. And they kind of looked at me, both of them, like I had three heads, and who the hell are you? But a week later, after I'd had that meeting with them at SES Chicago, Matt Cutts put out a blog post and nominated his favorite white hat blogs of the year, and he, he gave number one to a blog called Spam Huntress out of Norway, but he gave me a significant mention as a runner-up. So, of course, I took a link to Matt Cutts' blog post, and I sent it to uh, Rebecca and uh, Elizabeth and said, uh, hey, you know, check this out. And I got an email back, and, and they basically said, if you're good enough for Matt Cutts, you're good enough for us. And I started writing for Search Engine Watch. Wow. And, and, uh, and I wrote daily for Search Engine Watch for... Uh, an extended period of time, and I was one of the big, um, uh, the biggest contributor for uh, probably six months while they were trying to figure out how to survive, you know, all of this change. And I kept sort of a daily thing going. Anyway, that was a tremendous amount of detail. But the reason why I walked through it all is it shows what you need to do to succeed in content marketing. It's a combination of determined persistence. Uh, opportunism, putting out really good stuff every day, building relationships, working in those relationships, fostering them, giving to other people, giving back. You're going to do all of that stuff to make it work. Yeah, really an overnight success that just took you several years to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. An overnight success that was five years in the making. So it's interesting how you kind of in your story weave together these offline, you know, in-person relationships that you started to build and how those fed into your opportunities for content marketing. It's something that we've actually been talking about quite a bit over the last couple months. It's come up with many of our guests. Um, and also with me, I, w when I got onto this show, we were at State of Search and Sean was talking about how he lost his co-host and I said, well, I'll, d I'll do it <laughs> and, um, and just right. kind of like threw myself out there and he had to do the same thing and ask around and say, okay, I've seen Katie Wright and I've seen her speak at conferences, but is this actually in her wheelhouse too? Um, and so absolutely 100, it's so interesting how so much of that offline work translates for digital marketing. And I'm curious how, so a lot of that helped you with 
growing your presence through content and I assume links. How did that translate to the growth of your agency? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, uh, you know, the even that has gone through a continual state of transition. Uh, it, it really took uh, two years uh, before I began to see business coming in as a result of the content marketing in, in a material way, right? Um, because there's this old marketing saying that it's sort of, uh, well, the old saying is it's seven impressions to a sale, right? Um, and it just means that, you know, people first become aware of you and you, you kind of, okay, I know who they are, whatever. Uh, and that's kind of the reaction, right? And then they encounter you in a positive way a second time. And then they encounter you in a positive way a third time, fourth time. Some major influencer says something nice about you. And the fifth time they see you speak and then they see another article. And then after a while, they, they start getting in their mind that they want to do something together with you. But the other thing that goes on in an agency-based business is the buying cycles don't line up with when people first get that positive impression of you. They may already have an agency or a consulting firm that they're working with. Um, uh, and you know it could be a year and a half later that they get to the point where they want to change or they need to bring in somebody new. Um, and now they come to you at that point. So this sort of um, long curve, which, you know, isn't necessarily inspirational to people who want overnight success and immediate gratification. Um, but you know what? The big win comes from the investment in time and persistence. So that's how it fed in. And uh, now it's the transitions are even sharper. It's like we used to go to conferences and we'd, we'd get some leads started and it might take six, nine months to, to, to close business. I had one situation with a Fortune 100 company where uh, we met with them at SMX Advanced in 2014, um, and they became a client more than three years later in 2017. And the talk started almost immediately, just to give you an idea as to how this can unfold. This past SMX West, we actually had a signed contract with a client within three days of the end of the show. And we had more business activity than ever. It's, it's like this constant thing that you're feeding and the ground swell grows. And over time, you get more and more out of it. So a lot of, a lot of what you do is um, promoting your own brand, um, which is exactly how you got to where you are. And I, as you were growing your agency, did you find that it was hard to transition to hand off, um, you know, these new clients as they came in that that came in through conferences like SMX to your team? Was it was it more challenging when you were smaller, or is it more challenging now? How how does that process work? Yeah, it's a great question and a very insightful question because organizations go through transitions, right? There's a big transition that happens when you're about 10 people. You, know, you start crossing over the 10 people boundary. And then there's another one at around 25 and another one around 50 where you, the way you do things has to change. I mean, it used to be that I did everything. And then we hired uh, somebody else who came in. Um, they were very strong. So they were able to sort of divide up the work. And, but it's all about who you hire. 
You, you have to bring in people that are smarter than you. Not at everything, but at some things. And if you fail to bring in people that are smarter than you, you're not going to succeed. You know, you need someone who's better at operations. You need someone who's better at finance. You need someone who's better at this aspect of SEO. You need someone who's better at social media or whatever it is. I mean, you know, one big thing we did is we hired as our director of brand evangelism, Mark Traphagen. Uh, that's like three or so years ago now. He's done an amazing job with our social media and helped become a, a significant public face for the company as well. And to your question, Katie, part of what we did is not only have, have, do we have other people who can play the lead role with our clients and things like that, but even the public persona thing, you know, we have Mark who plays a big role as a public persona for us. Uh, we have another guy, Brian Weiss, who's uh, also a very amazing and strong SEO, but also is uh, getting a lot of public visibility now and doing public speaking and other people who write for us. And even that is getting divided up, you know. So it, it goes through a big transition about well, one moment it's all about you and the other it's about you're just a piece of the machine, man. <laughs> so I want to kind of conclude with a question of how can we help our audience replicate all your success? <laughs> and what I mean by this is right now as a 70 person plus firm, what amount of time do you, and, and, and resources do you extend to continuing to promote Stone Temple? Obviously, you speak a lot. Um, obviously, you're doing videos, content, etc. But as an agency of your size now, how much of that of your overall workflow is a function of your business? In my case, I've been lucky enough to structure my job where I still get to spend a lot of time in the marketing and outbound thing. And a key part of my role remains to sort of try to suss out where things are going and make sure we stay ahead of the wave as we like to, to, to call it around here. Uh, so for me, I probably still spend a, a third of my time on such things and which is a lot. That's, uh, and, and it's great for me personally cause I like it, but it's also, we've structured the business to make that work. And that means we've handed off a lot of stuff to other people. So let me, um, rather than just talk about how we did it, let me just turn it into specific concrete advice for the listeners, which is you have to figure out who it is you're going to bring in to be that person that's smarter than you in some things, how you're going to divide things up, and how to leave yourself in a spot where you still enjoy your day-to-day -day job, but that you're letting go of stuff and letting other people run with things. And you got to make those hiring decisions really smart. In the early days, hire people you know already. So they're really safe hires. Uh, and then as you grow bigger, um, you know, you're going to have to bring in people that you don't know and, uh, you know, try to do the right things with that and have the right processes to make that work. Eric, that is a great way for us to end this show with your uh, years of wisdom encapsulated so well in the minutes that we've had together. So I can't thank you enough for sharing as well as everything you do to make our industry uh, continue to prosper and grow through your advice insight. It really means a lot to all of us out there. And we will be right back after this short break. Hey, everyone. This is Sean Jackson, the host of The Digital Entrepreneur, and I want to ask you a simple question. What is your business framework for selling digital goods online? Now, if the question perplexes you, 
Don't worry, you are not alone. Most people don't realize that the most successful digital entrepreneurs have a framework or a general process for creating and selling their digital goods in the online space. And one of the best free resources is Digital Commerce Academy. Digital Commerce Academy combines online learning with case studies and webinars created by people who make a living selling digital goods online. And the best part is that this material is free when you register. Are you interested in joining? Well, I'll make it easy for you. If you're listening to the show on your phone and are in the continental United States, I want you to send a text message to 313131 with the keyword digits, D-I-G-I-T-S. And when you send that text message, we will send you a link to the registration form right to your phone. Are you outside the United States? Don't worry. Just send us an email to digits at rainmaker.fm. Either way, we'll send you a link to the registration form so that you can sign up for free for Digital Commerce Academy. And as a special bonus, we will also subscribe you to our newsletter when you text or email us so that you can stay informed with the latest insights from the show. And don't worry, we respect your privacy and we will not share your email or phone number and you can easily unsubscribe at any time. So if you want to start building or improving your framework for selling digital goods online, then please send a text to 313131 with the keyword digits or send us an email at digits at rainmaker.fm. You won't be disappointed. Welcome back from the break. And as always, we're going to end our show with some tools, tactics, techniques, and recommendations for you. So Katie, given the fact that we had uh, one of the major SEO players in our space on the show, um, obviously we're going to recommend his book, The Art of SEO. It is truly the definitive guide for all things related to SEO. He wrote it with Rand Fishkin and with Stefan Spencer, and it is truly something that we use constantly when thinking about how to grow links. But, you know, Eric did one other thing when we didn't record, but he did tell us something. So, Katie, you want to share that? Yes, he did. He he said that at Stone Temple in particular right now, they're paying a lot of attention to log file analysis when assessing website performance for SEO and content and planning where to focus their upcoming strategies. And we thought it was a really interesting tip and something that not a lot of people are talking about. Um, so one tool that he recommended for for um, helping you do that is through Deep Crawl. And so that would be our tooltip for the day. There you have it, folks. So not only did we have a major thought leader in SEO, he gave us great information that we were able to share with you. And that will wrap it up for this episode of The Digital Entrepreneur. Have a great week, everyone.